This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Soulmates, The Truth. And the author is Marge Bowers, and Marge joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Marge. Good morning. Well, soulmates, that rings uh, a lot of different feelings with people and the truth. I guess we're going to get some insights into soulmates in this interview. And first of all, Marge, why did you write the book? The reason I wrote the book was originally it was just a, like, uh, three-paragraph thing highlighting, you know, topics and high spots about soulmates. Uh, And then uh, first Sunday of every month in Dallas, there's a Dallas Psychic Fair, which I read at. And, you know, being the reader, I'm always booked up. I never get a reading. So this one day I thought, okay, I'm going to take off my last time slot and I'm going to go get a reading. So I went to a reader. Nobody knows anybody in there. There's like 35 to 40 readers every Sunday, the first Sunday of every month, and they're all excellent. They're tested. They have to be real or they're not going to work there. So... I went to the psychic, Dolly Hawkins, and I sat down, and you tell her nothing, and she looked at me, and the first thing she said was, you're sitting on a gold mine. I said, what? She goes, you're sitting on a gold mine. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you have already written something that you need to share with the world. And that's what clicked my mind back to the thing, the little blip I had written about the soulmate. So I went in, and I added content to the little blip that I had done, and if it wasn't for Dolly Hawkins and the, and the Dallas Psychic Line, we wouldn't have a book. You've been a clairvoyant, as you call yourself, uh, for near 40 years. Right. How did you get started? How did that all happen? It's really strange. Uh, I got started because as a child, as a younger adult, I was always interested in astrology, you know, reading the horoscopes in the paper. And once in a while, you know, they would hit. So I, I wanted to learn how to do it. Uh, this was when I lived in Ohio. So I went and took a class. My teacher was Rosie Brown, and she's another dedication there uh, with the Lake County Astrological Association in Ohio. I went and took a class. And in those days, I mean, we're talking old days. This was before computers. And the first eight weeks was nothing but mathematics, logarithms. Oh, it was horrible. Just to get what we now call the, the, the chart, the wheel. So after the six-week course, uh, she put a chart up on the board, and she said, now, we've had no interpretation. We knew basically what the astrology signs were and what the planets were, and that was it. So she put this chart up on the board, and she said, I don't imagine anybody wants to take a wild guess at who this is. And I looked at the rising sign, which is your personality and your whole physical thing, and you have 12 different areas of your life. You have different things in those areas of life, like your love life might be one thing, your money house might be another thing. Anyway, I looked at this chart she had up there, and off the top of my head, I said, oh, yeah, it must be Elizabeth Taylor. That's who it was. My teacher just about swallowed her tongue. (laughs) She goes, (laughs) well, she says, Marge, I don't know how you knew that, but that's exactly what it was. And from that point on, they kept telling me, no, you're not doing astrology. You're psychic. I said, no, I'm doing astrology. Several years down the road, when I moved to Durango, Colorado, I would do some psychic fairs there. Plus, I gave a a lecture in the parapsychology class every time they got to the subject of astrology. So I would get the people's 
birthdays, time of birth, place of birth, in the class because it's nicer to teach from their charts. You know, it makes more sense. And went to the class, passed out their charts, did the class, came back. And I always got a lot of phone calls of people saying, my gosh, Marge, you told me not only what, but when, and it all happened. And I said, well, that's the difference between other kind of psychic abilities and astrology. You can not only tell the what, but you can tell the when. And they were just all thrilled. They all wanted private readings. Several days later, the center that ran those charts for me on the computer called me and said, Marge, we don't know how to tell you this. We sent you over there with all wrong charts. I said, well, then how did I give right readings? They said, we've been trying to tell you you're psychic. Blew my mind. From that experience, I had to agree with them because there's no way I could have given those people right readings with the times and the dates and everything from wrong charts unless I had it was clairvoyant. They tell me I'm clairvoyant because I talk so fast. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like you can't get enough out fast enough. Well, t- let's talk about soulmates. Now, you mm-hmm. have, uh, you, we hear a lot about soulmates. It's even right. in the news right now, you right. know, the, the political soulmate, uh, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, as we talked about, it's probably the more lustful soulmate is what it was mm-hmm. all about. But anyway, uh, soulmates always conjures up all kinds of feelings and under- different understandings. What's your take on this? Okay, soulmates are people that have had a past life together. Now we get into reincarnation. They're people that it, their encounter in that particular past life didn't work, which soulmates, to have it work, it's got to be. The time's got to be right. There's so many things. This is why it's, this is why it's hard, <laughs> okay? And if it doesn't work, you never get over it. Um, you have to have a particular position in your chart that indicates you, you are and will have a soulmate in this lifetime. Soulmates are people that... Um, just automatically work together. You have recollections of them from you don't know where, and it's actually from past lives. And people are always talking about, oh, this is my soulmate when they're in love with somebody. Well, there's a huge difference between being in love and being with a soulmate. Uh, I would choose being in love any day over a soulmate because they're so painful when they don't work. And eight out of ten don't work because of the timing. So this is the difference when people talk about their soulmates. Um, hopefully it's an in-love thing that will work because it's just very difficult to make a soulmate connection work. Well, if it happened in a past life, why did it work then? Same thing. wasn't time. So one person could have been married. The other person could have been single. It could have been, could have been your brother or your sister. You don't know in that lifetime. And see, soulmates aren't necessarily people. I mean, they can be animals. They can be any any living thing that was born at a certain time in a certain place. So true love is something, uh, what you just said, it's much better than looking for your soulmate, but mm-hmm. then how do you explain true love? True love is when you're just truly in love with somebody. A lot of high school sweethearts, you know, they, they fall in love. It's their first love, and 40 years down the road at class reunions, they're still married, they're still happy, they're still together. That, that's true love. And how do they stay together? Why does it work for them? Uh, because they put the other person first. When you're in love, you do anything it'll take to make it work. And if that means going with the other person's whatever, even if it doesn't agree with you, uh, that's what you do. You do anything it takes to make it work. So the one word you shared 
is commitment. So I guess that's what we're talking about here. Much yep. different than a soulmate. We're talking about something much deeper and much bigger than, right. than a soulmate. We're talking right. about total commitment. Exactly. Because a soulmate, sure, you can meet a soulmate, but it's just so hard to make them work. Well, Everything it, has to be in place. I mean, you can fall in love with somebody and maybe um, there are certain things about them that you don't like, but you still maintain the in-love feeling. Uh, with soulmates, if the timing isn't right, you think this is the love of your life, and, and it doesn't work, and you never get over it. Why don't you get over it? Because it's a heart-to-heart connection from a past life where it didn't work. And I don't know how to explain it other than it just rips your heart apart. And you never get over it. And this is the bad part about a soulmate. If the timing isn't right again, you have to come back in another life and try to make it work. That's why soulmates spend lifetimes reincarnating, trying to find each other. It's, it's really uh, a chancy thing. How do you explain past lifetimes? A lot of people may not, you know, that may right. not connect with them at all. Right. I did a, a, a debate once back in Durango, Colorado, uh, with a professor and a minister, and the, the word reincarnation came up then, and the minister just threw his hands up in the air and said, well... How, how can you believe that we've lived before and we've been reincarnated? And the only thing I could think of to tell him was, how about Easter? We have past life memories and past life idiosyncrasies that we can't explain. And that's because we're, we're pulling on past life energy and, and, and recollections and memories. In, in astrology charts, uh, we have all your planets and, uh, you know, the house positions. But a lot of times people are born when a planet is in what we call retrograde. And that means that the planet appears to be moving backwards. The more retrograde planets you have in your chart indicates the more past lives. Now, I've done people where have no retrograde planets, and those are people that uh, the normal, natural things that happen to us, you know, we get a flat tire, we get lost. These people with no past life experience, those things can just rock them. You know, they could, it could just throw them all off track. Little dumb things like that, because they have no past life to to count on or to, uh, how can I say it, to experience a little bit of past life knowledge that doesn't, the little daily things don't flip them out like it does somebody with no past life experience. Am I making any sense? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's very interesting, too. Um, I've also noticed that in my many, many years of readings, I hardly, you hardly, soulmates, natural soulmates are really rare, okay? And probably in all those years, I've encountered maybe 10 to 20 people that had soulmate positions. Um, I have a bunch of clients up in Pennsylvania, and I went up there. I used to go up there like every six months to do readings. And the thing I noticed up there, right around the Civil War thing, uh, years, is a lot of the people that were lived, that lived there and did not relocate from there, all had soulmate positions, like 8 out of 10. It was just, it amazed me. So, I, I, and I got to thinking, well, what about, you know, other wars, World War II, you know, is, is there a connection with staying where you're born? Don't know. One of the words that you describe your story, one of the words is chemistry. And okay, we, okay. we hear that in relationships, but how are you reading chemistry into that? Okay, chemistry is, um, 
uh, how you feel in your heart towards the other person, more like the love thing. Chemistry is also the physical attraction. Uh, chemistry can also be uh, intellectual attraction. It's, it's what makes up everything that we put out from our mind to our physical. And, and it's chemistry attraction. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. So is that just the start of the relationship? And then, of course, it gets uh, many layered. Exactly. Uh, obviously, every relationship just grows and becomes, mm-hmm. it can become more mature, or sometimes yeah. it doesn't. Yeah, and the chemistry is basically what attracts everybody in the first place. I mean, you look at somebody and you think, oh, boy, you know, that's chemistry. Then you get together with that person, and it, it may work, it may not work. But before you get involved with somebody... There's chemistry there on one level or another. Now, in other words, you use selflessness. Selflessness. Mm-hmm. Selflessness, yeah. Now, that, that seems like in, in every relationship we, have, we can't be selfish. Well, but a lot, of them, a lot of people are. A lot of people that have a karma that says, <coughs> excuse me, they're going to be the boss. They're going to be in control. It's their way or the highway, okay? Now, that's not going to work with a lot of people, whether you fall in love with that person or not, unless you have a, a, a karma that can accept that. When you first meet a person or when you've done readings with them, can you sense this, uh, where they're at, like uh, where they're at with commitment or selfishness? Sure, yes. I can tell by looking at their planets. The day you were born, uh, we have nine planets. The sun's your first thoughts. Mercury's your second thoughts. Moon is your moods and emotions. So on. Venus, love life. Mars, the way you do things. I, I look at all those things, and I can tell. Uh, it, it's just different astrological placements. Do you tell them? Yeah. I don't. I, and when I do readings on the psychic line, and it's fair, and my private clients, I tell them, I don't like to be wrong, so if you don't want to know, don't ask me. <laughs> I, I and, uh, get right. I go right to the point. Yeah. So, um, how often are you able to help people connect with the right person? Well, it helps to let them know what's going to work with them, and you can take where their planets are and what works with that and what doesn't work with that. For instance, if you have somebody that uh, has a, a lot of Scorpio in them, that's a very forceful. Uh, planet, zodiac sign, it's very rejuvenative, but it's also very controlling, and, and in the wrong areas and too much of it can make a person very manipulating, like a Hitler thing. Too much of any one thing can make people very one way or the other. Okay, like a lot of people, with a lot of Virgo, for instance, Virgo is uh, the perfectionist, it's the analyzer, and it can be the real nitpicker. Can people change? You know, you can, you can make yourself mentally say, okay, I'm going to change and be this, and I'm going to change and be that. Well, you can do it for a certain period of time, but basically everybody goes back to who they really are. So as far as, I mean, if you, if you put your mind to making that change and don't deviate from it and don't interject maybe with your own personal opinions that are, that are opposite of whoever you're trying to change for, yeah, but but at the long run, you know, people, unless we're dealing with a phony person that's really good at it, <laughs> most people do go back to who they really are. Marge, we have about a minute left. Uh, okay. How would you like to conclude your thoughts about your book? Well, I would like anybody that wants to know if they have a soulmate, 
uh, contact me through the webpage, marchbowers.com. Uh, I can, uh, if they have their date of birth, time of birth, place of birth, I can look real quickly, run it up on the computer, and see if they have one. There's also a time frame for a couple years where they could have had one, but if it didn't work, they got over it. And I can really help people that way. It's almost like being a marriage counselor on the psychic line. And people can get your book at your website? Yeah, and also under Author House. Under Author House and other online bookstores? Uh, yeah, there's uh, Amazon and there's Barnes & Noble. Well, Marge, it's been very interesting, and we appreciate you being on Author Talk. Well, thank you for calling me. That was Marge Bowers. She is the author of her book, Soulmates, The Truth. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. They flourish on a secluded farm 3,500 feet above sea level in Hinotega, Nicaragua. These coffee beans grow in the shade of hardwood trees and banana plants, thriving in the rich organic soil. Shade-grown coffee grown at higher elevation has a better quality. There are two benefits, a slower growing cycle for the plants that allows time for the sugars in the bean to mature, and the natural composting from the nitrogen-producing canopy. And now you can order this international gourmet coffee online at NicaraguasBestCoffee.com. Order 12-ounce and 16-ounce bags or save with a discounted price by ordering in large quantities. Three different coffee beans available, Arabica, Marigold Gaipe, and Green Oro. Prepare to enjoy the richness and the soothing flavor of some of the best-tasting coffee in the world. Order online at NicaraguasBestCoffee.com and enjoy Central American flavor, aroma, and richness of Nicaragua's Best Coffee. It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Sending a heartfelt message is one of the best ways to touch someone, to touch the heart. But it's easy to forget birthdays, anniversaries, and other special occasions. Imagine how many lives you would touch if it was easy to send those heartfelt messages. Send Out Cards provides a way for you to send a personalized greeting card to a friend, loved one, or business associate in less than 60 seconds from the convenience of your computer. You can even add a gift or gift card. Send Out Cards is about helping people reach out to those around them. It's amazing what a simple message can do. Send Out Cards helps you act on your promptings to reach out and change lives. Show host Michelle Bateman has learned through personal experience what it means to be an eagle by always working to be your best self. Please join our conversation on Send Out Cards Radio with Michelle Bateman to learn what it means to be an eagle on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Long Escape. And the author is Jan Rehacek, and Jan joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Jan. Hello, how are you doing? Well, this is a kind of an overwhelming story for most Americans because we take our freedom so for granted, and here, as you call your title, The Long Escape, 
you escaped from communist Czechoslovakia. That's correct. Why share such a story? I mean, I guess that's maybe an obvious, but not everyone wants to write that story. Actually, it started. Um, I started writing this as memoirs, kind of from the family, and uh, uh, as we, you know, got around talking to our friends, and that they gave me this idea that hey, you know, this is such a great story. It's always been a good story to listen, you know, when when you're at home or when you're at a campfire. And uh, I've been encouraged by a lot of people around me to say, hey. You should put this in a book and share with everybody, because you know mo- most of our ideology about what's happening behind our curtain was personified in movies. But in real life, it was a little bit different than just the movies. You know that you know in real life, there's real people that have to go through real situations. That you know one small mistake and it could have been the end of the family. Could have you know uh, even even death was possible. So um, my idea is this was to share this with the family first, but then I decided to share with the world to, you know, open the eyes of the public to see, hey, you know, not not everybody in the world has the same freedoms as here in the United States. So this happened back in the early 80s. Yes, I, I actually, exactly. In, uh, uh, this, the whole thing started September of 1983. When you say it started, what do you mean by that? Well, we, um, well this whole thing basically came up to me. My dad, my father was a um, was a anti-communist, as they called themselves. So basically, as a political uh, talker, he he would talk against the regime, and you know, um, so he was sort of by the secret police. So now you were living in Prague. Yes, we were living in Prague at that time. So you know, there was you know, as a small boy, I was about you know eight nine years old. You know, I would come home from school, and my dad wouldn't come back till you know late at night because he was at the at the police station being interrogated, how he is involved with the anti-communist party and, you know, what are they planning. So, you know, you know, the thought of being watched by the Secret Service was always there. You know, the uh, Czechs had something similar, like the Russians had KGB, so we were being watched. And it got to the point that we really couldn't do anything without somebody watching us somehow. So, you were, and you were very aware that they were watching you, following oh yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Oh yes, I mean you know, and especially with with the with the thought you know here you know it's ten eleven midnight and your father's nowhere to be found and you know then next day we found that he was stuck at the police station been interrogated for hours and hours and hours so it it started getting more more against our freedom so um, fortunately we had a, a friend in the police department who actually came to my father and told him hey you know. This time they're they're coming for you hard, and you're gonna be, you know, imprisoned and all that stuff. So we decided to we had enough and decided to leave the country. And when you heard that uh, startling message, that uh, probably not surprising, but still very very shocking and startling, how much time did you have to get ready to leave? Not much. Uh, we're talking in a span of few months, uh, and it is. I mean. It is not like you can, you know, just get up and hop in a car and leave. It was a lot of planning, you know. Uh, we had to because you were being watched. Yes, we've been watched, so we had to mask somehow how we get out of this country. So, what my father did, he he again had friends pretty high places, and we managed to mask it by planning a trip 
to Yugoslavia. Um, if you know, Czech Republic is an enclosed country. There's no beaches. There's no ocean. So the closest ocean is that it was in the former Yugoslavia. So we made a family trip. We plan a family trip for the first time. You know, go to the beach, to the ocean. My dad spent a lot of money, you know, underneath the table, trying to get signatures from doctors saying that it is medically necessary for me and my sister to go on this trip because because we had some conditions, some skin conditions that only salt water would help. So uh, right right out of the movies, kind of a script. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the problem was they they allowed they would give the travel visas to my parents, but no travel visas to me and my sister. So it was either either you know one parent goes with one kid or both parents go or nobody goes. So we had to mask this this you know uh, ideology that hey we have a, some kind of a rash some kind of skin disease that only you know salt water can help and with proper signatures and a lot of money money underneath the table my dad got the visas and we were able to leave for the vacation of course with the intentions of never coming back so that. You know that's how the whole thing started. Uh, you know, and I was I was ten at that time, so I really didn't know my dad's and my mom's true intentions till we were in Austria. So you thought you were indeed going on a vacation, and we did. We spent we spent we spent uh, four wonderful weeks on the beach. You know, but uh, you know, lurking in the shadows was always my my dad's idea of leaving. I mean, um, it was. It was pretty drastic, you know. We we basically were followed almost all the way to the border, so you know how we how we escaped. So that was a lot of planning, you know. While I, I and my sister were enjoying the vacation, uh, my mom and dad were busy planning how we going to get across the border. So you were still behind the Iron Curtain. Yes, we are still. Even yes. when you were at the beach, you were yes. still behind the Iron Curtain. Exactly. The Yugoslavia. The, the only thing that benefited us, my dad did some research that. Uh, during during um, the communist rule of Yugoslavia, uh, Tito was one of the uh, pr- was the president. But they had a trade relationship with Austria and West Germany. Basically, uh, Yugoslavia was the number one tourist spot for West Germans and Austrians. With that, the border crossing and the border patrols were a little bit softer, if you if I may use the term. You know, uh, right? It Didn't was, check quite as thoroughly. Exactly. Exactly. It, there was, uh, for example, the border between Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia at that time and West Germany was very bad because they used false borders over there, which means they have villages that the secret police have villages there that speak German, right, yet they're Czech or, or Russian secret service. So you think you cross the border, but you're still in Czech Republic, and, and you get caught really fast. So that was a risk we could not take. And, you know, with two small kids, you want to go across the border the, the safest way possible. But I'm, 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 and I'm not saying that the border between Austria and Yugoslavia was any easier. I mean, it's in the middle of the Alps, which are tall mountains. You know, you got fences, you got minefields, you got guard dogs with machine guns. You know, guards with machine guns, sorry, guard dogs. So it still posed a, a really big challenge for my parents. So when your parents first left, they left, and you were supposed to be left behind? Yeah. But were hiding? No, we weren't hiding. A uh, few weeks, few days before we were supposed to leave, my father 
finally got all the correct paperwork, so we actually left with um, with my parents. So officially and legally, you left. Yes. In, well, the, in the minds of uh, those who were signing off on everything. Exactly. In the minds of the correct people, right. we have everything, all the paperwork, all the correct signatures there. And all the bribes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, let's say this way. My, my father and my, my mother sold all of our furniture to have money for the bride. Every, I mean, everything that we could sell, we sold so we can bribe these officials. Well, they always say money talks, and I guess especially when you're trying to do something like that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. My goodness. So you you leave together, you go into Yugoslavia at the beach. Now there's still, like you say, this there's uh, there's got to be a well-executed plan mm-hmm. to get into Austria. Yes, and uh, we were actually, at that time, we were very fortunate that, you know, as they say, the cards were in our hand. Um, we were fortunate that right next to us in the camp, uh, we met uh, two German couples, uh, elderly couples. You know, they were there on vacation. And over time, over the three weeks, we became good friends. And then uh, one evening, my dad, uh, you know, I mean, this is a huge risk for them, for him, you know, asking for help. So, so you know, he asked these German couples to help us get across the border. I mean, you know, this was a 50-50 chance. I mean, either they're going to help us or they're going to turn us in. So the, so the uh, camp officials were basically were our overseers, you know. So we were, my dad risked a lot by trusting these two couples, asking them for help. And uh, with our luck, they accepted the challenge of helping, you know, this, this uh, unfortunate family to get to freedom. And that's quite a scene, I guess, when you're going through uh, that uh, last checkpoint where you're and you and your sister and your mother are are all hiding in the van. Yes. What what happened is they um, they had the campers, right? Because they like RVs. Uh, one the the thing is that one of the couple had an RV that's a regular camper, like a like an RV you rent here. The other one is a as an RV that you tow behind the car. Well. The, uh, the German couples actually had some uh, information for us that made it very feasible. There um, existed a law that if, if, you, if uh, you have a camper, towed behind a car camper, the border patrol could not go inside the camper because, you, because the people had to remain in the car. Uh, what happened is uh, the, Germans, the Germans and Austrians would go to Yugoslavia and they bought valuables and stuff like that because it was relatively cheap and there was incidents that some of the guard would steal their stuff so germany and austria gave yugoslavia an ultimatum saying either you're going to stop this or we're going to we're going to basically stop the travel to your country which means your tourist uh, revenue is going to go down so this law prevented the border patrol to go into one of these campers so we used this to our advantage, and uh, what happened is we were coming close, closer to the border. Um, me, my mom, my dad, and my sister were locked inside the tow-behind-the-car camper's bathroom, and anybody who's been camping knows that that bathroom is not big. Now, you know, so we're stuck in there, so, you know, we're locked down uh, to cover our scent because they did use guard dogs. The, the 
a German couple bought stacks of onions, garlic, and bell peppers and put them, you know, lay, lean them against the bathroom door. So, so that scent, so our scent would be covered by the vegetables. And that's how uh, they took us across the border. And you could hear the guards outside. Oh yes, oh yes, walking because, around, and oh, you could yes. hear the dogs. Yes, sir. We had to. Uh, I mean, we had to keep one of the little windows open so we could breathe. But yeah, we could hear the dogs. They could have the guards talking. You know, um, so it was a it was a hair raising experience. Now, well, literally you know, a life and death experience. I mean, oh, your, yeah. your lives were on the line. Oh yeah. I mean, if if they would uh, if they would catch us, most likely we would. You know, I would never see my parents ever again. You know, that, that was the huge risk. You know, our, our family would cease to exist. When did you get to, to Austria? What happened is that border crossing, uh, that, that special border crossing, <laughs> had two stop checks. You know, he had a Yugoslavian stop check at the beginning of, it's a tunnel. So imagine a tunnel through a mountain. On one side, you have the, you have the Yugoslavian patrol. On the other side, you have the Austrian patrol. Mm. And that's how we got through. We got through the, you, they told us, okay, we're going to stop twice. Just imagine this. They told us, we're going to stop twice. One at the Yugoslavian border, one of the Austrian border. Well, we crossed the Yugoslavian border, got into the tunnel, but we did not stop on the Austrian because the Austrians saw German licenses. They just moved them along. So when we stopped um, past the borders, we heard somebody try, was trying to get inside the camper. To us, we didn't know. We counted one stop, second stop, and somebody's opening a door. So just imagine how we felt that on our second stop, somebody's opening the door. Oh, you thought they were, uh, they had found you. Exactly. You must have really been afraid. Oh, it was, I, I've never seen my mom and dad afraid so much. But uh, fortunately, it was the German couples, you know, with a big champagne bottle, you know, welcoming us to the West. What kind of a feeling do you remember when you'd gone through all that literal terror? Uh, I knew that, you know, that it was something important and that, you know, it was illegal. So, so to me, you know, I was a 10-year-old boy. I'm right. Like, oh, I'm doing something illegal. Oh, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. You know, I was, I was all for it. Um, the problem was my sister was only six, so she really didn't understand, so... You know, we had to make sure that she stays quiet, and that was one tough thing to do. You know, so my ha my dad literally had his hand over her mouth, hmm. making sure that she just doesn't make any sound. How old were you when this finally started to really sink in? What the significance of all that you had done? Uh, probably not till we were already in the United States, and I uh, went to high school. And started, you know, going through history and world history and, and kind of what's been happening around here. Um, so so it, 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 it was a few years later that I finally started realizing what happened. And uh, it really didn't get cemented till, till we saw the wall come down. And, you know, and we were actually able to go back to visit to see the difference of lifestyles that we had in the United States or and oh, that people had over there. We've just got about a minute left. Uh, you obviously appreciate America in a different way than any of us that have grown up here. Give us your feelings about America after going through all of that in your younger years. Um, it, it, it's a 
place of freedom. It's it's a place where you can, you know, you can go outside. You can travel without without any harassment. You can, you know, own weapons without harassment. Uh, you don't have to, you know, tell no policeman that hey, I want to go visit North Carolina, you know, and I'll travel across the country. Um, it, it's it's an absolute freedom, you know, um, something something you don't have over there. Well, Jan, tell us how to get your book. Um, actually, my book is uh, available through uh, through my uh, web browser. I mean, my uh, author uh, publisher is uh, Author House. Um, I do have a website. Uh, it's called uh, www.longescape.com. And if you go to that website, uh, it directs you to where to purchase the books. Um, and my books are actually also available at, at Amazon.com. Just type in the title of the book, The Long Escape, and BarnesandNoble.com. Same thing. Type in the uh, title of the book, and uh, it will pop up. Well, thanks for being on Author Talk. Oh, no, thank you. That was Jan Rehacek. He is the author of his book, The Long Escape. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool what Gives is available at WhatGivesBook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The name of the book, Heavenly Hugs. And the author is Hannah Grace. And she joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Hannah. Hi, how are you? Well, this is a very sensitive subject. It's a very sad subject, but there is hope in it. And we're dealing with... Terminal illness, especially with little people, right? Yes. Children. Yes. 
This is a very this book has filled with pictures and 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 great philosophy for young people as well as adults. So t- we'll t- talk about the details in a moment, but just explain why you wrote the book. I wrote the book because I was a nanny for a family, and the mom had Garrick's disease and died. And the kids were six, four, and eight weeks when I took the job. They were eight, six, and two, and their mother passed away. And there's really not a lot of books out there that even deal with, on a child-friendly level, to deal with when you have someone who's in the hospital. Um, The book Heavenly Hugs approaches it for adults and kids in the sense that it's just a book of reassurance that God has angels in the hospital watching over your friend, family member, and that they're with you all the time. It's just a simple reminder that you're not alone. And I think that's important because a lot of people feel like they're all alone. The word reassurance is so important. We we all need that regardless of what we're going through. Correct. And especially for a, a little child, as you say, uh, most people, especially adults, we really don't understand what it's like to be a kid in a hospital. Right. Or to be a child who's dealing with a parent who's going to die. Okay. You know, um, I know the kids that I nannied, they constantly wanted to know what would happen to them if one of their parents passed away. And, of course, the Garrick's disease, you're going to die. It's You, you can't tell a child, well, everything's going to be okay, your mom's going to be okay, because they're on a respirator. You know. Right. And You have so, to tell them the truth. Right. But I also think it's equally important, which in the book I state that, you know, God has angels there. And I think that's just as important for a child to see that if they're in the hospital or, you know, even if they have a grandparent in the hospital, because grandparents are very important to kids, too. It's, it's a book of comfort and compassion. For adults, for kids, but ma- but mainly for, I mean, it does, it is written very child-friendly, very easy to read um, for children. Just, it's not an overload of information, but just a very simplistic way of letting them know they are loved, they are cared for, there are angels surrounding them all the time regardless of where they are. Your very first sentence in the book, I am just a small child in a sad world of hurts. Well, to your average American kid, I mean, their hurt is getting a scraped knee or not doing well in school or having a bad day, not making enough friends. But to a child in the hospital... They can't even go outside and play. I mean, they're dealing with the fact that they're confined to this room and they can go to a playroom as long as there are nurses and aides nearby, but they, they're in a different world, so to speak. I mean, their total existence is so different than your average child that it is a world of hurt. It's, um, and it's not like a little Band-Aid. I mean, you're getting 
you have cancer, I mean, you're getting radiation, chemotherapy. It's even as an adult. That's yeah, it's pretty huge. hard for an adult to go through that kind of experience. Let alone a young child. They don't get to experience your everyday American experience, which is very tragic. You talk about angels. Are we talking about those that we can see and those who we can't see, like angels who could be nurses or family as well as angels from God? I would say both. And and I will state that I have specifically used all the races because we have all races represented. I believe there are angels of all different races helping all of us. Sir, I think that's important. God loves all his children. Exactly. It doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, and white. We are precious in his sight. So it's, it's so important that we constantly hear the message, whether we're uh, young and we're in the hospital for our own sickness or we're there with a loved one and watching them just go downhill till they finally die. It's so important uh, to know that God loves us. Right, and I think a lot of people question that. I think they, you know, if God loved me, why would this happen? And Right. And it's, God doesn't want bad things to happen, and I think a lot of people, you know, it's when you're going through a tough time, it's hard to see that. You know, um, we live in a fallen world where there's hurt, there's sickness, and um, disease. But that's so who does this book appeal to besides young children? Well, it can appeal to organizations that deal with families who have children who are terminally ill, as well as ministers, as well as counseling centers. Um, I think the book, I mean, I get letters from people in different religions, people with different needs, um, that it's... Even adults who have been in the hospital who are sick, it's been helpful for them because as an adult being sick, you read all the intense stuff that you know what's going to happen to your body, you know this, this, and this is going to happen. But this is just a simple reminder. You are loved. You are not alone. God sees. God loves you. He, you know, the Bible says God commands his angels to watch over you. I think that's extremely important when you're going through a difficult situation, when you find out you're ill, or when you find out that someone else is sick. It's it's a, just an easy read. It's got a place where you can write letters to God or express your feelings to God, which I think is extremely important. Why is that so important? Because sometimes we don't necessarily tell people how we feel, but it's sometimes easier to write it down. You get it off your chest, so to speak. You know, you write, this is how I feel. And it's like, you know, God, this is how, you know. And if you're angry at God, I I mean, hey, Job let God know that he was angry with him because he lost his entire family. God knows how we feel, but I think he desires for us to state how we feel just, just as parents want their kids to be able to tell them, Mom, Dad, this is how I feel. No parent wants to feel like their kid can't express how they feel, and God feels the same way. He wants us to be able to express to him, this is how this makes me feel. 
And there's real therapy when you can read it later as well. Right. Well, and the other side of that is if you do have someone who's terminally ill and they do pass away as a friend or fam- as a family member, you have a keepsake. It's, it's like you have a journal from someone who did pass away and they expressed their feelings. You know, I think that's important and, and a lot of people don't state how they feel and I think that's really, really, it is good therapy just like you said. I think it's good for your heart. I think it's good for your mind. It's good for your emotions, your psychological well-being as well. And, and your goal with the pictures were able to give the same message of love and hope. Correct. Well, with the pictures, even if someone can't read, you can see just by looking at the pictures, the message, that you're not alone. If I'm in the hospital as a young child, or if I have a young child in the hospital, I can show them the pictures of the angels. You know what? You have angels all around you. You may not be able to see them, just like... The picture of the boy asleep and he's got the angel wing wrapped around him. You're not alone. And I think that's really crucial when you are in a hospital or a young child and you may feel like, okay, nobody else is in the room. Um, and they do all kinds of movies and stuff about angels, but not necessarily geared for young kids. You know, if you're a kid in a hospital, I think it would be great to have little angels somehow where they can relate to them on their level because most little kids, the concept of a six-foot angel is traumatizing. So an angel their size is much more, they can relate to that. And the setting for your book is in the hospital, so the pictures obviously show that. Yes, and not just any one, I mean, it doesn't state one specific hospital because angels are all over the place. And that's equally important. It's not just, you know, at Cincinnati, Ohio, or John Hopkins. It's whatever hospital you are in, angels are there. One of your sentences says, Jesus loves me because he does provide an angel to sing me lullabies. All children love to hear lullabies. You say words make a difference to those in need. I think we all understand that. It's not a book of poetry. It's a book of prose. You were very selective in the words you used. Was this difficult to write? It was. It was uh, very... I mean, I cried because as a healthy person, when you go to a hospital, it's, you, you know, you see all these people, whether they're young or adults, that some of them, they're not going to get to see, you know, they're not going to be able to play outside. They're not going to be able to grow up. And for those of us that are healthy, we have a lot to be thankful for. You know, we can walk, talk, have a job. We can see, we can listen to music, we can go play, we can go see the beautiful world around us. And they're not going to have that opportunity. So as a healthy person, it makes me have an attitude of gratitude for the fact that God has given me a healthy life. It also makes me want to take care of the life that I have been given and not take it for granted. And 
to be someone who does make a difference. If, if people just take time to make a difference in the world around them, just in the people that are in their past, my, my personal thoughts, and I know I'm very idealistic, I mean, to me, the world would be a very different place. If we showed compassion for others and took their hurt as if it was our hurt to embrace, my personal thoughts are the world would be a much different place. Well, it would be a much nicer place. If we followed the simple commandment from Jesus who said, you know, love one another as I have loved you. Right. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. You know, treat your neighbors nice. Right. Be Just show kindness to the people that you interact with, whether it's going to the grocery store, your beautician, wherever. You, ha- you may make their day. You know, you have no idea what's going on in their world. But just common courtesy, manners, uh, showing respect, being kind. Um, I've heard that saying, deliberate acts of kindness, and I think that's critical. Not just random, but deliberate. Make, make it in your daily living to do something nice and kind for someone that comes into your path. It can be a teacher. It can be a coworker. Just the people that you interact with. And it really changes the way you think about people and how you interact with them. And I had a pastor state, you matter to God, therefore you matter to me. And I believe if people had that mindset with the fact that you matter to God, therefore you matter to me, I, I mean, you can't tell me that the world would not be a different place if people had that mindset and attitude. Tell us about your website. My website, Hannah's House of Hope, is geared to just remind people that there's a benevolent God that loves them, and He awaits to hear from you. He desires to build a relationship with you, and I list all all the books are in there. I have other books that I've written as well. And then I write all the time, so I'm constantly putting different things that I write on there, as well as I have links to different foundations, the Dr. Phil Show, the Dr. Phil Foundation, um, Joel Olstein. And what's the name of it again? Hannah's House of Hope. Hannah's House of Hope dot com. Correct. Now, because you... we should, we should, you know, we should be hope builders. That's, that's my theme. We should be builders of hope. And can we buy your book there? You can go on the book and buy it through Amazon.com. Very good. Well, we uh, really appreciate you, Hannah, you being on Author Talk and explaining your book to us. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, and have a happy 4th of July, and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you very much. That was Hannah Grace. She is the author of her new book, Heavenly Hugs. <laughs>